Capitalist Lease calling all cars, attention all cars. 1235 Stamford Avenue, an officer shot. Get over there, boys. That's all. Rose and quick. Ladies and gentlemen, why do we buy any certain branded product? Probably for one or two reasons. Because it is highly recommended by people who know more about it than we do, or because we have proved its value to ourselves. You cannot appreciate the value or satisfaction of Sinclair Opaline motor oil in your car until you have tried it for yourself. But we can give you recommendations of such value that you will want to have the protection for your motor that Sinclair Opaline can give you. Listen, please. Your Navy uses Sinclair oil. Your Army uses Sinclair oil. 52 railway systems, 150 airlines, airplane manufacturers, and airports depend upon Sinclair oil as protection to their costly motors and equipment. For your own sake, don't make the costly mistake of believing that most any oil is good enough for your car. Oil may be of as little lubrication value as melted butter. Sinclair Opaline will make your engine run longer and smoother. This you will discover for yourself. But what about the price of this internationally known extra-refined Sinclair Opaline, sealed in tamper-proof cans? Most of you know the answer. Only 25 cents a quarter. Therefore, insist on Sinclair Opaline, sold at all Rio Grande stations. And again, we are pleased to bring to you Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department, who has a personal message for you. Good evening, friends. In dealing with the public, the average policeman finds that every man has an inherent spark of honor which never dies, no matter how much he disagrees with society's concepts of right or wrong. Twenty-two years of police work has not blasted this conviction in my own heart, and I have found in this work innumerable situations justifying this belief in human beings. A successful police officer makes it a policy to deal with the criminal element first as man to man, treating him as a free man, with the age-old theory that every person is deemed to be innocent until proved to be guilty. In the case we bring you this evening, this policy was followed by Inspector Hawtrey, head of the Police Communication Division, as the officer capable of receiving results because of its application. Professor Lindsley will now go on with the story. Our story tonight takes us back to the historical days of Prohibition, when liquor enforcement was a large part of the policeman's duty. On a certain fall evening nearly ten years ago, Patrolman Ashton, Leslie, and Carney are detailed to investigate reported bootlegging activities on Stanford Avenue. Having visited several alleged beer flats and having found nothing, they approach the house at 12.35 and ring the bell. Well, this looks like a hot one. You can even smell the stuff out here. Yes, but smelling it and getting evidence are two different things. That's right. Here comes someone. What are you... Hey, stop it, Ma! It's the boat! Don't let him get away, Ashton. Well, I couldn't help it. He's that fire. Well, never mind. Let's get in this joint and see if we can get some evidence. 
I assume you and Leslie look around here. There's something doing upstairs. I'm going to see what it is. Right, but watch your steps. This fellow Watson that runs this dump is a hard dame. Don't worry, I'll take care of myself. Hey, what's going on here? Oh, so you're destroying the evidence, eh? Come on, give me that bottle. Have you, copper? Come on, give me it. Give it to me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Well, it didn't break anyway. Hey, come back here. Aspen, listen. Stop that, Dane. She's trying to get away. Well, how about it? Wait. Get away, Connie. Out the back door. Yeah, what a swell score that is for us tonight. Two birds slip out on us in as many minutes. Yeah, but look what we found. Well, what's that? Two suitcases full of silverware, jewelry, and furs. Look at them. All hot, I'll bet. Sure. Look here. I better stay here with this stuff and stake out forever of that kid. You and Leslie knock over those other two places and then come back here for me. Okay. And don't let anybody else get away. Don't worry. It won't happen the next time. It's a big idea walk around the street with no coat on. You'll catch cold. Oh, gee, Curly, I'm glad I run into you. All right, what's the matter, Ella? Hey, it's the bulls, boys. They just knocked me over. They did? Yeah, Tommy warned me in time to start dumping this stuff, but one of them got a bottle. Well, I don't care about the boot lightning rap, but you boys have got that hot stuff of yours, Parker. Gee, that's right. And we don't want you to take a rap for that, Ella. Are they still there? Yeah, one of them is. Three of them come in, and I saw two of them leave the house again. How about it, boys? Let's go in there and get that stuff away from the copper. Down with you, Curly. Okay, let's go. Pick him up, Cutter. What do you want? I want you to reach for the clouds, Sally. Now get back to the house. Go on, get back. Oh, say, stop pounding me with that gun. Shut your trapper. I'll use it the way it should be used on coppers. Take his gun, Otis. Get his flashlight and cuffs, Mr. Fred. Okay. There you are. Okay, boys. Well, copper, you made your last pinch, you dirty Come on, boys. Get those bags and take it on the last quick. Stanford Avenue. Yes, I, I guess you better, better get out here pretty quick. In record time, the famed Los Angeles Flying Squadron screams through downtown streets to Stanford Avenue. They remove Connie to the receiving hospital where it's discovered that he's not seriously hurt. After his wound has been dressed, he reports to Chief of Detective George K. Holmes, who visits him at his bedside. Did you see, so? When he said that, I just had time to throw my hand up, and <laughs> that's why they got me in the arm. If I hadn't done that, I'd be a dead cop right now. You showed fine presence of mind, Carney. Now tell me, can you describe the man who shot you? Yes, sir. I can describe all three of them. The one that fired the guns about uh, five feet, eight. 150 pounds, greenish blue eyes, and uh, sandy curly hair. Mm, that's Curly Richards. He's just out of the pen. I've been expecting to hear from him. Then one of the other men was a little taller, thin, with black hair and a star on his forehead. Why, yes. How did you know? That's Otis Molden. He pals with Richards. Mm, he's a bad one, too. Well, you certainly have a memory, sir. Just part of the business, Carney. Now, how about the third man? Oh, he was young. Oh, about 20, about Richard's height, gray eyes, brown hair. Mm, don't recognize him. Poultry. Yes, sir. 
I'm going to assign you, Evans, and Jackson to this case. I don't need to remind you that shooting a policeman is to what? A greater crime than the law books have a penalty for. These men must be brought in. Yes, sir. Now get on right away. A check through the files of the Bureau of Criminal Identification proves Chief Holmes' memory to be correct. Both Richards and Molan have but recently been released from the state penitentiary. Their descriptions are printed in the police bulletin, and copies are sent all over the country. And then Detectives Hawtrey and Evans interview Ella at her establishment on Stanford Avenue. Ellen, we want to ask you some questions about that shooting the other night. Well, I don't know nothing about it. I wasn't here. So we understand, but a couple of good friends of yours were. Oh, I don't know who you mean. Yeah, then we'll tell you. You mean Curly Richards and Otis Molan. I don't know them. Oh, yes, you do. They seem to know their way around the place pretty well. I don't know anything about them. Come on, Ella. Don't be that way. Where are Richards and Mullen? I don't know. Them boys never tell me when oh, they... Oh, so you do know them. Well... You do know them, eh, Ella? Oh, only as customers. They come in here now and then for a drink. I don't know nothing else about them. Do you know they just got out of the pen? I don't know nothing about them. Hey, Hold on, nice bar of Oh, pardon me. Just a minute, young fella. Who are you? Why, my name's Ted Fowler. I didn't know Ella was busy. I'll be going along. Oh, no, you won't. Well, I got an important thing I gotta do. You gotta stay here until we ask you some questions. Yeah? Who are you? I think you've recognized us already. We're police officers. Well, so what? You come here often? Yeah, every now and then. What for? Oh, just a tea hour. And to get a bottle of beer, huh? What's a tea hour? Were you here last night? No. I wasn't home. I can prove I was. Oh, look here, son. Don't be so tough about it. You're not under suspicion. We're just trying to get a line on who shot that officer last night. If you know anything about it, you can help us. No, I don't want to get in a jam. No, you won't get into any jam. You don't look like a gunman to us. No, it was like this. I was coming in through a back door when a shooting happened. Oh, you were, huh? Yeah. I dropped by for a drink. And I seen that curly-haired guy shoot the copper. So I got scared and won. I just stopped by now to find out from Ella what it was all about. Uh, who was this curly-haired guy? I don't know. I've never seen him before. Could you recognize him again? Yeah, I think I could. Yeah, good. Now, you better give us your name and address, son, so we can get in touch with you. For the next 12 days, Lieutenant Hawtrey and his companion search for clues of the missing criminal. But nothing develops until the morning of December 20th when Hawtrey receives a telephone call. Central Detective, Hoppy speaking. Hey, I got a suspicious car out here in my garage. What do you mean, suspicious? Well, it's a Dodge Touring car, and it's all covered with mud, and there's two rifles and a lot of cartridges in it. Doesn't look right to me. What's the license number? It's 127348. Got the engine number? Yeah. 12D890761312. 12D. 
License plates are registered to another car, and the motor number is the same as a car stolen in Tulare a week or so ago. I thought there was something funny about it. Oh, uh, what about those guns you said? Hey, Lieutenant, there's the men that left the car coming in now. Those two fellas in the Mackinac. Yeah, they've seen us. They're walking out again. Come on, Hartley. Hey, you, just a minute. Both of you. You're under arrest. Yeah, what for? Suspicion of grand larceny. Uh, we didn't steal nothing. Yeah, nothing but that car in there. What car? I don't know what you're talking about. That's from Hoffrey. Okay. No guns. Uh-oh. There's a key. A Dodge ignition key. So, you don't know anything about that car, huh? Yeah, but... Uh... And here's a card from the Armstrong Hotel on Wall Street. Now, look here, boys. I'll take the fall for that car. Oh, this here's innocent. I just get in the key so you can take it over here to be washed. Let me take the rap and let him go. Not a chance. I think the people want to talk to you about some other things. Come on, Evans. We'll take them in, and then we'll look up this Armstrong Hotel. At headquarters, the two men are fingerprinted and quickly recognized as William F. Lehman and Otis Molan, both ex-convicts. Autry and Evans' next move is to show their pictures to the landlady at the Armstrong Hotel. Why, yes. I recognize them, too. Why, they had a room here until about a week ago. Anybody else live here with them? No, but they have some friends here. Some fellas in 106. They still come to see sometimes. Well, what do these men in 106 look like? Well, now, one of them is sort of short, and he has curly sandy hair. And yeah, that's why Richard's all right. Uh, are they in now? No, I don't think anyone's in there. Okay, we'll just go in and wait for them. <laughs> phone for reinforcements, and is soon joined by several more detectives. For three hours, the officers sit in the darkened room, not daring to speak, not daring to smoke. And then about ten o'clock, a man enters the room, switches on the light, and turns to face a half-dozen blue steel revolvers. Well, if it isn't Frank McGandless. Say, what is this? Now, I guess you know without us telling you. Might as well come clean. Where's Curly? Well... I don't know. I, I guess he'd be dragging in pretty soon, him and Fred. Fred who? Fred Johnson. He's his friend of Curly. Where's he from? I don't know. I met them both at Fulton. Uh, just that, huh? And all three of you trying to see how quick you can get back in. Were you in on the shooting of Officer Connie? No, sir. I was not. Now, we want Curly for that shooting. I know you do, but you don't want me. I wasn't even there. Yeah, what have you been doing for a living, you three? Oh, odd jobs. Odd jobs, huh? Odd burglary job? What do you know about that shooting? Nothing. I've shot off my mouth too much as it is. You're not going to get nothing more out of me. That's okay with us. Take him in, Mellon, and he'll talk at headquarters. Once more, the silent stakeout is resumed. A half hour or more elapses, and then another man, carrying a suitcase, enters the room and switches on the lights. Drop that suitcase and stick him up. Hey, what is this? You're under arrest. See what's in that suitcase, Evans. Okay. Hey, what's the charge? Well, here's a fur coat, three automatics, and Carney's gun, flashlight, and handcuffs. Well, we can make the charge carrying concealed weapons, suspicion of grand larceny, or assault with a deadly weapon. What would you like? Now, look here. Where I, did I... you get this suitcase? Well, a fellow gave it to me to keep for him. You're lying. Take him in. <laughs> hands of the alarm clock on the desk move toward midnight before the next visitor arrives at the room. You 
open it, Evans. And throw the lights at the same time. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, what's the devil? Pick him up. I haven't any cats. Frisk him, Evans. Okay. What's your name? Tommy Watson. Pretty young to be running around with a crowd like these guys. Do you live here? No. Where do you live? With my mother. What do you know about the guys that live here? Well, nothing. Only they're friends of Ma's. Friends of your Ma's, huh? Yeah. And that'll make you Ella Watson's son, huh? Yeah, that's right. Oh. You'd better get over there in Stanford Avenue to Ellis Bartley and see if Curly's there. Oh, well, we don't we don't live on Stanford Avenue anymore. Well, your Ma's moved, huh? Yeah. Where do you live now? Over in Glendale. Where in Glendale? On Postal Avenue. What's the number? Uh, 635. Uh, okay. Get over there, Bartley, and you'd uh, better go with him, Jackson. We'll wait here for you in case Curly comes in. For two hours, the officers hold young Tommy in the room at the Armstrong Hotel, but no one else appears. Then in the early morning, Jackson and Mellon return. Well, what did you find? Uh, nothing. What do you mean? Uh, the kid led us on a wild goose chase. There's an old couple living at that address, and they never heard Ella. Look here, kid. What's the big idea? Well, I didn't want Listen, to... Listen, kid. You're laying yourself open to arrest for harboring a criminal. Yeah, but I ain't going to squeal on my ma and Curly. Oh, so Curly's with your ma now, huh? Yeah, they sent me over to find out where Mac and Johnson were. Well, kid, you're in a pretty tough jam, and the quickest way for you to get out is to take us to your ma's new joint right away. Well... You wouldn't want to spend a term at I own reformatory, would you? No, but... Okay, we'll forget all about it if you'll take us over there. Well, okay... But you better leave my ma alone. We don't want your ma. We want Curly. A few minutes later, Tommy leads the officers down the ill-smelling hall of a hotel on East 6th Street. I remember. Don't give us away. Okay, I know what I'm to do. Who is it? It's me, ma. I, I, I got the cops with me. Oh, a little double cross. Open up. Open that door. We'll break it in. Ah, just a minute. Just a minute. Now, what seems to be the matter? Take that one, Evans. Jackson, you search that one. Tell me what's the big idea of bringing the cops in here, you dirty little stool pigeon. I couldn't help it, Ma. They made me, John. Ah, when did I get my hand on you? I'll fix you. Hey, Hawkeye, here he is under the bed. Good. Now that I come in, no funny business. We got you covered. What's this all about, boys? What are you looking for me for? I guess you know, Curly, or do you make a habit of sleeping under bed? You're under arrest, Curly, for robbery and assault with intent to commit murder. The following day, Richards, Johnson, and Mullen admit that they were the men who faced Officer Carney, and Richards admits firing the shot. Hotsley carefully examines the fur coat and the silverware found in the Armstrong Hotel room and makes an interesting discovery. Evans, I found that the number in this fur coat corresponds to the one stolen from the Regal Mansion in Spokane a few weeks ago. Oh, that's the job where they got away with $10,000 worth of stuff in broad daylight, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And this silverware seems to check with that. It all bears the initial R. I believe these boys we've got upstairs pulled a lot of local jobs, too. How are we going to pin it on them? Well, I believe I can talk to them and make them come clean. Talk to them with what? A length of hose? No, I I mean really talk to them. I believe you can reason with a crook just the same as anyone else. Uh, a copper can never reason with a crook. Well, we'll see. Suppose you bring Lehman down from his cell. Okay, but I think you're nuts. <laughs> My way is worth a try. <laughs> Defiant, expecting the third degree, Lehman is led from his cell to a little room in the basement of the old jail. 
Hawtree approaches him as man to man. Hello, Lehman. Sit down. Well, we've identified some of the stuff in that suitcase as coming from that uh, Regal robbery up in Spokane. Well, what of it? Well, it sort of looks as though we've got a closed case against all five of you on that job alone. But in addition, Richards, Molan, and Johnson have admitted shooting Officer Carney. They'll get at least 14 years. Come on, come on. What's this got to do with me? Well, just this. You all have to do a stretch. There's no way around that. Yeah. But I'm convinced that you men have pulled a lot of jobs around L.A. And, uh, Lehman, I'd like to get your assistance in clearing them up and returning the stolen property to their owners as far as possible. Yeah, well, what do I get out of it? Nothing. We can't offer you immunity. You know that, Lehman. But I will promise you this. We won't file charges against you on any cases you clear up that we don't know about now. Well, I don't see why I should be the fall guy. Listen, Lehman. Let's understand each other. I'm making this request of you as one man to another. You're in a position to help uh, help us out and still not harm yourself. Well, what do you want to know? I want to know what part, if any, you played in the shooting of Carney. I want to know what burglaries you've committed and the addresses as far as you can remember them, what you took, and where you disposed of it. Uh, what do you say? Well, I'll tell you how I feel. When you brought me down here, I thought I was going to get the third degree. And I made up my mind I'd die before I'd tell you a thing. Gee, you're, you're a white man, Lieutenant. I feel now as though I want to do the right thing. I'm willing to go halfway with you. That's fine, Lehman. If you give me a half hour of each of the boys in his own cell, I'll see if I can talk them into it. But there's one thing I want you to know right now. What's that? I'm not going to stitch on them. I'm no lousy stool pigeon like that McGandless. Well, what do you mean? He hasn't told me anything about you boys. Ah, don't give me that. I know that he squealed. Oh, you're wrong there, Lehman. Now, listen, Lieutenant. I figure that you and me are on the up and up with each other, see? Now, don't go spoiling by lying to me. We all know you brought Mac down here as a blind and swung him after you got me. All right. Have it your own way. Well, how about it? You want me to talk to the boys? Yes, that'll be okay. You talk to each one of them and let me know what they have to say. Hawtrey gets an idea from Lehman's scathing denunciation of McAndalus. And while the latter is consulting with his companions, Hawtrey pays McAndalus a visit in his cell. McAndalus? We sent your picture to Spokane, and you've been identified by the gardener at the Regal Estate as the man that knocked him out. Yeah, that'll have to be proved. Well, it wouldn't be so hard. You're over six feet tall, and all your partners are shorter. And do you think for a moment that old man's going to forget your face? No, I just think he'll know me when he sees me. Okay, you'd better go to Spokane and answer to their charges. Me go to Spokane? Why should I go? Well, the strongest reason I know is that uh, all your friends figure for a stool pigeon. They do? How's that? search me, but I can't talk them out of it. They figure you faked on them. But I didn't. No, of course not. That is, uh, not exactly. But the point is that when they go to trial, they'll be forced to implicate you, and, uh, you'll go back to Folsom with them. And you know what happens to Sphinx in the pen. Gee, that's right. It isn't very pleasant going in with that rep. The whole place will be wise to you in 24 hours, and your life will be hell. Yeah. That's why I figure you'd be smart to take that rap for the Regal robbery and go to Washington State Pen where they don't know you. You're right, Lieutenant. Send me back to Spokane. I'll cop a plea there. (laughs) 
By this clever piece of strategy, Lieutenant Hawtrey disposes of one of the gangs and returns to his office for the verdict from Lehman. After an hour or so, Lehman reports that Curly and Fred Johnson are willing to talk, but Otis Molan is still reticent. However, Molan joins the other three as they enter the basement room with Evans and Hawtrey. An embarrassed silence ensues as the four criminals eye each other. Then Lehman speaks. Well, I guess I might as well start the ball rolling. I'll tell you about the jobs I worked on, but I won't mention the names of the guys that worked with me, see? Each guy will speak for himself, and no one can accuse any of us of being a stoolie, you get me? Fair enough, Lehman. Go ahead. Get these notes, Sergeant. Well, when I got out of Folsom, I stayed on working on the road gang, and a friend of mine showed up and pulled me off the job. Cut the Dodge Touring Car to Larry and burgled a hardware store in Pixley. Then we come to Lost and picked up three more men. Went to Spokane in case Mr. Regal's joint. <laughs> One of the men worked for him once. We took everything we could get there and then started south. In Ventura County, we pulled a few store burglaries. Then we come back to Lost and this uh, carny shooting occurred. Well, I guess it's in order for me to say that I didn't figure personally in the shooting. I didn't know anything about it until after it was all over. But I did go with the boys to Reno, where we hid out until we heard that Connie was going to get well. And we come back to town, and, well, I guess you know the rest of it. Yeah. Who's next? Well, so, I was one of the men in the bunch with Lehman. Yeah, I was present when Connie was shot, and I figured in all the jobs Lehman told you about. Okay, Johnson. What have you got to say, Mullen? Same here. I was with Lehman in all the jobs, and I was present when Connie was shot. That leaves me. I was in on all the jobs, and I fired the shot at Carney. But it was an accident. I didn't intend to shoot the gun. I just wanted to scare him. That's fine, boys. And I want to thank you for playing ball with us. Oh, that's okay, Lieutenant. You know, one of the rules uh, we live by is never give a cop an even break, see? <laughs> when we uh, meet a dick like you that's willing to treat us like human beings, well, uh, it uh, makes a big difference, see? Through the cooperation of the four criminals, much of the stolen property was recovered. All four men eventually pled guilty to their crimes, and Richards, Nealon, and Johnson were sentenced to Folsom Penitentiary for 14 years each on a charge of assault with a deadly weapon with intent to commit murder. And Lehman went to Folsom for from 1 to 15 years on a charge of first-degree burglary. McAndalus, falsely accused by his pals, took a sentence of from 5 to 10 years in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Thank you, Chief Davis. Advertising claims, not facts, 
about a gasoline being the highest octane leader, remember this scientific fact. Cracked gasoline averages 10 points higher in anti-knock rating than gasoline which is not cracked. Hot summer weather increases the knock in your motor, and summer driving is harder on your car. Rio Grande Cracked with Tetra Ethyl will see you through this summer with greater driving comfort. Use the same gasoline in your car that in the Southwest powers so many police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment. Buy Rio Grande Cracked and have the satisfaction of police car performance in your car. The new radio log for August is now available containing a complete list of forthcoming cases to be broadcast on Calling All Cars and another Rio Grande radio program. Drive into your neighborhood Rio Grande service station tomorrow and ask for the August radio log. It's free. Broadcast 38 regarding the shooting of an officer. Suspects in this case now in custody. That's all. Rose and Cliff. confidential files of the Los Angeles Police Department by Madeline Kelly and was adapted for radio by William N. Robeson. The orchestra is under the direction of Frederick Stark. And this is Frederick Lindsley saying good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company. <laughs> <laughs>